0: logistics man. Ready to talk logistics? But how? It can't be done. We should probably figure out some logistics.
1: We want to be as transparent as possible so we want to understand exactly where things are from, how they're sourced, are they ethically sourced. You need to be able to trace all that stuff in order to submit that paperwork and then maintain it and that's a whole process.
0: That's Lynn Power, CEO and co founder of Masami Haircare. Masami is a vegan and cruelty free premium haircare brand created with carefully selected natural ingredients. On today's episode, Lynn discusses the jump from the ad world to entrepreneurship, the struggles behind sourcing packaging, and how she ensures vegan and cruelty free materials. Lynn offers a great perspective on how to build an ethical and sustainable business, explains the complexities of finding the right partners to support Masami's incredible mission. And I'm aiming for you to gain some insights from our experience. But first, a brief word from our sponsor. This podcast is powered by the team at Stored. Turn your supply chain into a competitive advantage. Go to stored.com to learn more. I'm your host, Alex Kent, Director of Sales at Stored, and this is Supply Chain Theory. All right, here today with Lynn Power, CEO and co-founder of Masami. Thanks for joining us, Lynn. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm I'm amazing. It is hot outside. Oh but. well,
1: you're lucky. I'm I'm in the Berkshires and it's chilly. So yeah. it's supposed to rain for I think four or five days straight.
0: Oh man. So oh, we'll man. see about that. No good. No good. no good. Well, let's dive right in. I, I'm super curious, uh, excited for the conversation. You know, want to listen and, and hear from you about your current role and how you came up as the founder and co-founder of, of Me and, and what your role is as CEO.
1: I'll try to be brief because that question could be like hours long answers. <laughs> so yeah, I spent my entire career, 30 year career in advertising. I was running large agencies, J. Walter Thompson and Arnold, etc. cetera. And um, my co-founder, James, had been working on our formulation hair care formulations for about 10 years. It was like his little side gig that he never talked about, but kind of everyone (laughs) in the office sort of was like, he's doing something, he's up to something. And it was these formulations. And it's really hard to make clean hair care that performs really well for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into because it's related to supply chain. But I decided in 2018 that I was tired of working for other people and I was getting too old for that. So I decided to leave and to do my own thing. And then I met James. And it was like the universe kind of just put us together, because he had these formulations that were almost done. And he didn't know how to commercialize them. And of course, I know how to commercialize them. But I don't know how to make formulations. So sometimes that that's a match made in heaven. And that's kind of what what we do. So I I run the business, I'm the CEO, he's like the guy behind the formulas, who's the nutty professor. And we launched Masami in February of 2020 at New York Fashion Week, right before COVID hit.
0: That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, tell me a little bit about the brand, what the product is, and, and introduce our, our listeners to it if they have, aren't aware of it.
1: Yeah. So it's it's clean premium hair care. We have a Japanese ocean botanical that was inspired by Masahiro, who's James's husband, hence our name Masami, which by the way, also means truly beautiful in Japanese. Like how awesome is that?
0: That is amazing. So
1: yeah, so we have four products we launched with. We have a shampoo, a conditioner, a shine serum, a style. Cream. Our products are vegan, cruelty free. We're gender neutral. So, Alex, you might enjoy them as well. (laughs) Um, Actually, guys love our styling cream because it's like not greasy. Sometimes, if you use styling creams and they kind of just they do stuff. Uh. My hair's super short right now cuz I'm I have post chemo hair. It's growing back and it's growing back really weird, but thankfully I just do a little bit of the styling cream and it kind of gets it all like so it's not like a big poofy thing. But yeah, I think the guys lo- love our products because the smell is kind of a fresh clean scent. It's not super floral and it's a clean fragrance meaning phthalate free, naturally derived. They don't care about that part. They just care that it actually smells good and it's <laughs> it's not overpowering. So yeah, that's, that's our product lineup.
0: That's awesome. I'll, I'll definitely have to try it out. I, I won't get into my my styling uh, critiques and, and methods here, but uh, I could definitely use some work. Anyway, let's talk about the supply chain. You know, we, we talked in the prep call a little bit about it and, and really want to dive in here because I think it's fascinating. Um, the vegan, cruelty-free ingredients, how you guys are sourcing those ingredients. But, you know, tell me about your supply chain. How's it set up? You know, where does it actually start?
1: So we have a couple things going on in our supply chain so we've got our formulation and we've got our packaging and they're both different (laughs) different challenges different opportunities our formulation supply chain has a couple dynamics one easier than the other the easy one being our formulas are made in the us our chemist is actually in chicago and so she is able to procure a lot of our ingredients, most of our ingredients. Um, and in fact, she actually makes her own uh, organic aloe that goes into our products, which is fantastic because as you probably know from doing this, not all ingredients are equal, not all kinds of aloe are equal. So ours is like the most you know pure organic you can get, which is great because when you have ingredients that are really high quality, then you also don't need to put as much in your formulations and um, of course... It's a little bit easier to then do the certifications you need to be vegan and cruelty free because you have the you can trace it back and you know exactly where it's from. But our other our our trickier ingredient Mm. is makabu. It's a Japanese ocean seaweed, and we actually have a partnership with a. with a family-owned seaweed manufacturer in northeast Japan that I was fortunate to go and visit in 2019, which was amazing. Um, the cool thing about them is they manage the the whole process from the planting of the makabu in the bay, the harvesting with the local fishermen, the drying it down, the radiating it, the powdering it, and then sending it to us. And they work almost exclusively with food products, so we're their only cosmetic product. So their their little factory is pristine. And it's just such a cool thing to see. And so we love it. We work with them and they, they do our, our makabu and they send it to us and it's fresh. And then we cram it in our formulas.
0: I'm, I'm picturing this um, little factory in Japan. And, and I want you to kind of walk me through the scenery. What does it look like?
1: It's like If you were to go to like a ranch in Santa Fe, but small, very small, it kind of has that vibe where it's like one level, um, but it looks almost like someone's home in a way, right? Because it's in the countryside in Japan. And and then when you go in, you have to put on protective clothing to go in because it's all food grade product, right? So you're literally covered with a little the little thing on your head to keep any hair from you know and and you have a whole suit they they put on you and then they have different rooms so they've got a room where all their equipment is where they do the drying and the cutting of the different um, types of seaweed and by the way they have loads of <laughs> types of seaweed like if you're Jap- if you're Japanese it's no big deal it's like you know lots right. of apple types right but he, but like, to me, it was like, whoa, what is that? And that one's red and that one's brown and that one's green. And that, you know, they're, they're all different and they don't sell a lot of actually what we, we use, which is makabu, which is part of the wakame seaweed, which is good for us because we get more of it for <laughs> ourselves. But, um, yeah, you go in and it smells, it has that, that seaweed smell permeating throughout the whole, the whole facility. And then you go into the, the drying rooms, which are really cool. Because they just have, you know, these these big seaweed racks, and then of course once it's all dried and powdered down, they've got racks and racks and racks and racks of of seaweed ready to go out um, and be shipped. Um, so it's a it's a wow. cool thing to see, and it's it's a family owned company. They've been in business for about eighty five years, and so you know you really do feel like. When mm-hmm. you go and you meet them, that there's a relationship, even though they speak almost no English, their son, who's now kind of training to take over the business, actually speaks a little bit of English. So he's our communicate. Well, mm-hmm. we go with Masa, Masahiro, who lives in New York, is from Japan. Right. He's our translator. I couldn't do this without him because he, he like, literally is the guy that and he also, by the way, books the best restaurants and hotels like around. So if you ever if anyone wants any tips on traveling to <laughs> Japan, he's the guy to talk to.
0: That's awesome. What, what value does the supply chain bring to your organization? How does it influence you know, your customers and um, you know, why they buy your products?
1: I mean, it's really important for a couple of reasons. One is because we want to be as transparent as possible. So we want to understand exactly where things are from, how they're sourced. Are they ethically sourced? You know, we want to make sure that we're getting all the highest quality products and, um, you know, we are vegan certified, we're cruelty-free, leaping bunny certified. So, you know, you need to be able to trace all that stuff in order to submit that paperwork and then maintain it and that's a whole process. And I think that's important for customers for clean beauty because, you know, other people can say natural. There's not a lot of regulatory mm-hmm. around beauty claims, if you will, in terms of packaging. So you can say that you're natural, you you can even say you're organic and not be 100% organic, you know, so, so having some of those certifications helps people go, okay, they must have gotten things, you know, somewhat approved through those, the, the ingredients must be what they say they are. So that's really important. And, and then I think just for us, you know, it's been a really interesting experience in trying to, optimize the supply chain because there are times when you realize that you're not getting the best pricing or the best Mm -hmm. timing or whatever. And so we're always trying to find like better suppliers that align with our values that can deliver what we need when we need it. And it's actually really hard because especially with covid um things that you kind of mm-hmm. took for granted before especially when it came to packaging like our bottles should not be that hard to find but they're really hard to find it's like we have this you know green color and um and the closures are tricky and um we've had to have three different closures for our little right. travel shampoo and conditioner because we the the first one ran out the second one ran out now we're on the third one you know and then it becomes a little bit of a nightmare for our fulfillment guys because Um, as you probably know, like when you're filling orders, even if you order 5,000 of each, you end up getting like 4,654 of one and 5,200 of another, like they're never exactly, you know, so you end up with like a Delta of like 500 more conditioners than shampoos. We sell these, these, the travel shampoo and Mm -hmm. conditioner in a set, right? right? So you want them to match. So when you have different closures, because you ran out of the first one and then you ran out of the second one, and then you still have some of the... 500 and change from the first order that's extra, but yeah, you just ordered more product. You know what I mean? It, it ends up being our fulfillment guys are always kind of doing this, you know, holding it up and going like, <laughs> um, does this one match this one? Oh, this is, the old, this is the old lid. Let's put, you know, try to find two that have the same lid. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like that. At some point, hopefully we grow out of that, right? Because right. the quantities are so big that, you know, that becomes a, a little rounding error and you don't worry about it so much.
0: Uh, I'm curious, you know, we, we haven't had many vegan organic cosmetic companies on this podcast talk me through the certification process what does that look like how do you go about that where do you start
1: well I think there's um there's a couple different organizations that do it so the first thing to do is figure out you know who do you want to work with for vegan we worked with PETA Mm -hmm. for cruelty free we worked with leaping bunny and so you basically they they give you kind of like this checklist of what you have to do. A lot of it is really um you have to provide certifications for every single ingredient from the manufacturer or supplier. And you know, they give you the forms you have to have them basically say, yes, this is made in a factory that does not have any animal byproduct, da, da, da. you know, we don't test on animals, we don't do this and that and the other thing. Um and occasionally, you'll run into a problem um, where you know there's an ingredient that technically is vegan, but because it was made in a factory that had other things that weren't, right. or whatever you know, whatever the certification requires. So we did have that happen where we had to go find another supplier for for an ingredient because they couldn't comply. Even though you know, if you were to just, I can't remember the name of the ingredient, but if you were to pull the ingredient, it would have been fine on its own. Like if you tested it on its own, but when you looked at the chain of custody so to speak, the way it was manufactured, it wasn't um, it wasn't up to snuff. And so those are the things that you have to take into account. and I pretty much guarantee that anyone who's gone through this in the beauty world, there's surprises. You think you have it all <laughs> down and then you start to do the digging and then you're like, what? What do you mean that's made that way or what? So it's a good it's a good process to do because then once you've done it you feel pretty confident right. that okay we've we've done all that work to make sure everything is what it says it is and then you feel really good about it and then and then also it just informs you what to look for now as we're making new products and we have actually we're we're working on another product that we're launching next year and we have another japanese ingredient so of course you know now when we go to procure that it's going to be making sure that that factory is also Complying with um, our vegan and cruelty-free um, certifications too,
0: and I imagine you're you're really you know relying on that partner or that manufacturer to be transparent a- as transparent as possible, right? They have to be because that's that's what sh- your brand is built off of.
1: Oh, they absolutely have to be. Um, yeah, I mean they can't really lie on those. I mean, I <laughs> guess they could, but then they obviously that would be bad because right. somebody would find out that wouldn't be good for them ultimately. So yeah, um, I think. Uh, the partners, and I, I think they're sort of—I don't want to say they're used to it. They don't like doing it because it's a lot of headache for them. Mm-hmm. But as more and more beauty brands are clean, and it's almost like price of entry now, they kind of expect it, right? Like right. they—you kind of have to be ready to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's dive into the, the next segment, uh, all about challenges here. Houston, we have a problem. You know, I, I'm curious. We already dove into all the challenges that you get from starting a, a brand, but what are two or three individual challenges you are you guys are facing in, in regards to the supply chain? We talked about packaging already. You know, what are some other examples of of some challenges you all are seeing and, and how you're addressing them?
1: Yeah, I mean, the packaging one is a big one um, because. There are certain component parts that are more readily available than others. And, um, and when you're getting them from different suppliers, you need the bottom and you need the top and you need a closure. <laughs> so it's like if you only have one of the three, it kind of doesn't really work. You're sort of stuck. So actually, like we had um, one of our big challenges, we had put an order in to make refillable pouches. We have, we have large size sustainable refill bottles that we made last year because we're mm-hmm. trying to migrate out of plastic. And I, I mean, people love them, but the idea was that you could refill these bottles, which are beautiful with refill pouches, which use up a lot less plastic and they're bigger. So, you know, you, you, uh, it helps on a couple levels. Our pouches were on order for, I want to say nine, 10, 11 months. And it was like every month it was like almost, yeah, we're, we've almost got them. We've almost got them. We've almost got them. And it just took forever. And then what happened is they finally shipped them. This was, where are we now? It's June. Mm-hmm. This would have been like October. They finally wow. shipped them. And I think we just got them in April because really? they got stuck in Chicago at the port. And there's just no way to get them out. And so it, we just had to wait until they waited through all the tonnage of shipments to get to ours to be able to release it. And it literally took six months. Wow. So that was a little eye opening. That was like, wow. And you know, the tricky thing is, We've got the formula ordered, waiting, because, right. you know, you don't want to, and also, like, when you're ordering 20,000 pouches, you know, the, our chemist doesn't want them sitting in her in her warehouse, yeah. right? So it's like, you've got to try to get the timing to sync up as best you can. In this case, the problem wasn't the pouches sitting in her warehouse. It was the formula being ready to go and no pouches. Right. So we've had it the other way around too. So it's, it's, it's tricky. And that's been, that's been one of the, I guess, hardest parts of, of managing things. And then also trying to get ahead because knowing that things take a really long time now, it's like, how do you manage cash flow to go, okay, we're going to go ahead and just order more of all the stuff now, even though our revenue isn't quite there because you know what I'm saying? We still (laughs) have all the ones that we ordered last time, so that's tricky, too, because as a business right. that makes physical products, you're always managing cash flow. Of course. And inventory is our most expensive thing. So, you know, when you're spending $40,000, 40, $50,000 each time you're having to order, it's, it's a lot. Anyway. So those are those are just some of the some of the things we're dealing with.
0: Yeah. And I mean that, that kinda leads me into the next question, right? Is you know, that that is absolutely impacting the bottom line, right? And and it's driving business outcomes. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, I, I'm I'm curious how you think about that and and you know, some of the things ways you're addressing that now, right? I mean, you you kind of mentioned it, it's not like you can just turn around and and write that next PO or execute that next PO. Um, you know, to to purchase the more pouches or have the have more formula ready to go. And you know, how how are you guys attacking that?
1: I mean, we are starting to look into loans because we're, we're, we're bootstrapped and we don't have an investor. And so, you know, part of it is to get ahead of it, you know, looking at different financial vehicles to be able to, you know, support some of those needs. And there are, I think, some interesting options out there these days. Right. So that's one, one way. The second way is to actually try to move some of our sourcing from Thailand Actually, we get our 10-ounce our shampoo bottles from Amsterdam. It was literally the only place in the world we could find them. Don't ask me <laughs> why. But we get some of our closures from Italy. We get others from Thailand. We get some product from China. So we're trying to move some of that to the U.S. where we can. Just because we can have better control and management, the challenge, as I'm sure anyone knows, is cost, because while I would prefer to do everything in the U.S., it tends to cost significantly Mm -hmm. more than being able to get it from some of these other places. So, you know, you got to kind of weigh out all those things and figure out what stuff you can wait on and Um, or what stuff it's worth paying a little more for to get just so you have the peace
0: of mind that you have it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Diversification uh, in in supplies, for sure. Um, Switching gears just a little bit, I'm curious, and and we can open this back up into your history with advertising and and your career in advertising too, but what's what's the best piece of advice you've gotten or that you would give to others starting a brand?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I give a lot of advice to people starting brands (laughs) because I end up mentoring all sorts of other founders. The first, okay, Number one thing is you actually have to have a viable product. I can't tell you how many times people are like super excited about something and they, you know, you can tell that they're just like, they can't wait to share it with you. And you hear the idea and it's like, wait a minute, that's terrible. Like, you don't want to say that to them, but it's like not a good idea. Right. I mean, I met with this woman a couple years ago and her idea, it sounded like a Seinfeld (laughs) episode. Okay. She had this idea to make office capes. And I was like, office capes. What does office that mean? Office capes, well, like, a, you know like a Superman cape. Capes, okay. yes, but like, but more for pragmatic. Like, you're cold in the office because there's air conditioning on. You don't always want to have to wear your coat, and you, you know, you don't want to have your coat on in the office. So if you just had a little cape, I can see it. That would keep you. And I, yeah, and I was like, wow, that's that's bold. That is bold. So anyway, my point is, not every idea is a good idea. You may love it but it may not be a scalable, marketable, viable idea. So the first thing you got to do is actually make sure you have something that people want and you can do research, you can do testing, you can talk to friends and family, you can talk to peers, you can talk to mentors, you can do lots of things to figure that out, but don't be so enamored with your own idea that you can't get the feedback and then figure out your positioning next, you know, make sure that you have a strong positioning, you understand the white space, you understand your point of difference, um, and that it's, you know, the positioning can, can resonate, um, with, with your market. And, and if you get those right, a lot of the other stuff then falls out of it. You know, your brand values, your packaging, all that stuff should kind of hang, hang off of that.
0: Fascinating. Moving on to our next segment, the venting couch. So talk, let me vent, come on, vent, go ahead, vent. I just needed to vent. where not you vent? Vent your frustrations. We all have had traumatic experiences when it comes to logistics, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you're ready to heal your relationship with your supply chain, check out store.com to learn more. All right. What stories do you have for the venting couch?
1: As it pertains to... Um Specific to supply chain, you know the saying, "You miss the boat." (laughs) I didn't know that was actually like you know you you actually miss the boat. (laughs) That that was a thing. So yeah, we had we had ordered Mm -hmm. our our. I mentioned the products, the packaging from Amsterdam, and these were to launch our brand, and they were our main, you know, our ten ounce bottles, and we'd ordered thirty thousand of them, which is a decent amount for a small small business, and we literally had everything lined up with the launch date. Cause again, you know, I'm used to sort of working backwards, right. From the date and getting everything ready. And then we get the call that we missed the boat. I'm like, uh, how did that happen? <laughs> they just, they just, they just missed it. <laughs> the boat left without them. Right. So um, the problem with that was that the next boat was a month later, because again, we're, we're being cheap, right. We're not, we're not flying this stuff over cause it's 30,000 bottles. So we just had to sort of figure out, how to scramble and line everything up again and, you know, redo everything so that we can make that timing work with a month delay. Um, but that's, unfortunately, I hear that all the time. I mean, this is not like unique to me. So. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, and that's gotta be, that's a tough call to receive that and be like, yeah, the product didn't get on the boat. And the next time we can get it out is yeah. a month away. And you're, you're probably sitting there stewing. You're like, I'm preparing to launch. What do you mean I missed the boat? Exactly. I, I, I was literally
1: like, how did that happen? Like, you knew the boat was coming. You knew that it was leaving. And they just missed it. <laughs> it was like, oh, my God. Oh, okay.
0: Man. Oh, man. All right. Moving on to our second to last segment here uh, with Lynn Power talking about the future. So, uh, you know, curious, obviously, you guys launched uh, a little over two years ago. What lessons have you learned over the past two years that you're you're getting ready to implement in the future or, or have implemented uh, in your processes, in procuring products, procuring packaging, even in the fulfillment and logistics style of, of the supply chain? Um, what have you learned and, and how are you you know focused on that going forward?
1: Well, one of the best things we've done over the last two years is partner with other brands. And I'm talking more marketing mm-hmm. related, but it's done it's it's gone so well that we actually launched a pop-up store called Conscious Beauty Collective with 30 something other brands. And then we started doing these calls where we share learnings as small business owners and as entrepreneurs. Right. And so we talk about everything from email marketing to packaging to missing the boat, you know, yeah. all that stuff. And so that's that's been great. So I would say like one of my biggest learnings is to build a network, you know, and they don't have to be... um Ideally, they should be people that are dealing with similar challenges you are, but they don't necessarily have to be in your industry. And it's not always like you need advisors and mentors. I mean, sometimes you just need people that are doing it when you're doing it and that can go, oh, talk to this guy. I got a guy. (laughs) I got a guy with a van. Go talk to this guy. Right. And then you're like, oh, my God, thank you. I need a guy with a van. And that works really well. So, uh, yeah. So that's been one of our biggest learnings is to embrace that community, cultivate the community, Add water to it so it grows because it's going to really help you when times are tough.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially in you know just getting started, or or even if you're an established business, right? You have to have that network. You have to have that support system, whether it's personal, family, or you know colleagues in the industry, or even someone that isn't in the industry and is just like a support person that you can call and be like, I got this problem. How would you solve it? And they probably have no idea, but they're going to come with an idea, right? And I think that's so important. Um, Predictions for the next two years. What do you what do you see yourself doing? What do you where do you see the brand growing? What kind of crazy predictions do you have? Oh we won't uh, old takes expose you if you're not correct. But uh, I do always like to ask entrepreneurs this.
1: Yeah, well, of course, I would love to be acquired by you know Estee Lauder or something like that. But reality then sets in. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to continue to to grow uh, slow and steady, which is what we're doing. Because again, we're 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 kind of controlling our own destiny with um, controlling our own money. Um, and that's that's a choice and not everybody wants to do that but it's our it's for us it's it's been really good but I think there are a couple things that are happening with DTC brands that are pretty exciting one is it's not really DTC anymore it's like you got to go where con- right. you got to go where customers are so like we're on Amazon we're doing our pop-up store we're the pop-up store by the way was so successful we did it in San Francisco we're moving to Boston in September and then we're probably going to be moving to Houston or Dallas in the spring and that I think you're we're gonna be do, leaning much more heavily on doing more more of and i think other brands are going to start to do that too this idea of creating community and supporting other brands mm-hmm. i think is also going to become part of the playbook and then things like right. things like live streaming you know, uh, social shopping, like there's going to be a lot more of these interesting platforms that I think brands like mine can engage with um, that make, that make the marketing side quite interesting. So yeah, it'll be, it, right. it's an interesting time for sure. But I think the playbook is evolving pretty much every day.
0: Yeah. I, I, we, we talk about it a lot and you know, I still think that it, sure it, it, you can't just be a D a C brand. I mean, you can, but you have to go where the customers are, like you said, and we are still so new in e-commerce. I mean, if you look at the, the timeline, right? It, e-commerce is about twenty years old. Yeah, and you know we are just getting started in in what this is, and and all of the technologies, all of the logistics services, and and everything that we can do to get in front of the customer and and make that customer more aware of our brand. You you got to take the, some of the risks and and you know go for the opportunities there. Um, so I think that pop-up shops are awesome you know yeah. and, and wherever you can collaborate with other brands and, and have those shops come up and say hey we're gonna be here come check us out I think that's a, a great mentality uh, wrapping up here with uh, Lynn power uh, with some quick hitters I feel me- Favorite hobby outside of uh, growing a brand?
1: I wish I had a hobby outside of growing my brand, <laughs> but it would it would probably be my my little my little baby dog.
0: Oh man, we've got uh, a dog. We've, we've got, got a dog. A dog on camera. But
1: no, I, I you know I I like I like hiking. I like traveling. I like renovating houses. Um, I just don't get a lot of time for for that so much anymore. But <laughs> yeah, it's all good.
0: Okay, I'm going to switch this question around a little bit. If you didn't work. As an entrepreneur, and you didn't work in advertising, what would you be doing?
1: Well, what I wanted to do before advertising was, was be an FBI agent. Now, I think, I'm, I think I'm a little too old for that, but I don't know. I had applied and everything. They did the tests and the interviews and the background checks, but they had a hiring freeze. This was 1989 because I'm, I'm old. So back in the day, you know, it was like, we're not hiring. And I'm thinking, I have to stay at home with my parents for six months until they give me a, an update on whether or not they're going to be. So I'm like, I can't do that. So I met a recruiter and she told me to go work in advertising and I did. <laughs> that's, that's it.
0: And that's it. There it is. Last thing you bought online.
1: Oh gosh. Um, last thing I bought online, probably Ramen Hero. Oh my God. I buy this really, Ooh. I buy this really good ramen. Um, yeah. It's like a ramen kit comes frozen. Check it out. Okay. It's delicious. My whole family loves it.
0: Ramen hero. Yeah. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. Maybe a uh, dinner for the Kent family here in a couple oh, weeks. Yeah. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Wrapping up. Last question. If folks want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that and, and learn more?
1: Okay. I'm easy to find. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on all the social platforms at Lynn Powered. But also Masami is lovemasami.com or hair on all the social channels. Um, you can always DM me. You can email me at lynn at com, And I'm really good about getting back to people. So if you have any questions on anything, supply chain, business, your cape idea, or, you know, hair, <laughs>
0: just let me know. All right. And and if you want to go for the cape idea, go for it. Yeah, and, I, don't, I think it's be still a hole in y'all. the
1: market. I'm confident it's there's still a hole in the market <laughs> for that. So, yeah.
0: Take advantage of it. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Lynn, for joining us today on Supply Chain Therapy. Thank we you. Really that was it. fun. Know anyone who needs Stort's help? We have a new referral program where you could earn $5,000. Go to stored.link slash referral to submit and learn more. If you're tired of bad hair days, you need Masami. Clean, premium hair care that's all about botanical hydration. Your hair will be shiny, soft, and smooth, like you just walked out of a salon. See for yourself. Use code THERAPY15 for 15% off at lovemasami.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, a podcast brought to you by Stored. Make your supply chain a competitive advantage. Go to stored.com to learn more.